This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Last time you heard from us here in the Fenway Rundown, we were, I think, at our respective houses and a little less tired than we are now after taking a cross-country flight this morning. I'm Chris Cotillo. We have Sean McAdam here. We are in San Francisco as the Red Sox are here to take on the Giants starting tomorrow, Friday night. Three games in San Francisco, three games in Seattle in the trade deadline. So it will be a busy week for us, a busy week for the Red Sox. And uh, the future of this organization will kind of get ironed out here over the next few weeks. So, uh, or the next few days, I should say, which is um, always an exciting time of year. We talked to Heim Bloom about what they could do over those next five, six days yesterday. If you missed that episode, be sure to check it out. And today, we're going to read the tea leaves of what Heim said and, and kind of what we're hearing behind the scenes and talk about the Red Sox, the deadline, some league-wide stuff. Trade deadline getting underway kind of seriously last night. Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez getting traded from the White Sox to the Angels. The Angels are buyers. The White Sox, as we all knew, would be uh, big-time sellers, and I think they're off to the races generally with a few deals done in the last few days. So we solicited some questions from Twitter uh, from many of you who listen to the show and read what we write at Mass Live, so we appreciate any questions that came in. And I'll start with this one, Sean, for you from at the Marky D, a friend of the program, a guy who does a terrific job tracking a lot of Red Sox-related uh, numbers and needs and roster things. He writes, with a bunch of guys coming off the injured list, Reese McGuire, Trevor Story, Chris Sale, Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, they're all making progress. Which players on the edge of the 26- and 40-man rosters are most likely to get traded as a way of avoiding a post-trade deadline roster crunch? To me, Arroyo and Richard Blyer stand out, Marky writes. Uh, Obviously, they just had an infield roster crunch, and Kike was the victim. Do you see Christian Arroyo being a guy who could be the odd man out here in the next couple weeks? And then uh, Richard Blyer as well. Uh, I do not see Arroyo being a roster crunch victim here. I think he's part of things going forward. It remains to be seen how they're going to figure out things at second base. They have another number of options. Win story returns. You have Chang, you have Reyes, you have uh, Arroyo, all of them right-handed hitters. So uh, there's no balance there where you could create some sort of platoon. Uh, I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to um, – DFA or try to move Arroyo. I think he's part of that uh, solution at second base in some regard. And I think in terms of Blyer, uh, you know, I, I think it's more likely that uh, somebody like Jake's or or uh, Chris Murphy could end up going back because um, if they're getting guys like Hauk and Whitlock and Sale back eventually. They're not going to need the bulk relievers uh, that Murphy's been able to uh, contribute to. We've already seen Brandon Walter uh, being uh, edged out of the picture, and maybe Murphy could be a guy that gets sent down until September. So I I think Blyer and Arroyo are safe for the time being. Yeah, the one thing I would add there is I just look at kind of the way the bullpen is set up, and we've seen you know over the last two days the Red Sox adding two right-handed relievers to their 40-man roster. Nick Robertson in the Kike trade the other day and Mauricio Yovera in a small trade with the Giants last night, late, late last night. And then Hagenman, a third guy who could factor into the mix. They are trying to balance this out with some righties. As I wrote 
before, I wouldn't be shocked if they traded a left-handed reliever to balance that out. You know, you mentioned Jakes and Murphy as guys with options, but, you know, there's some other guys. Walter already went down. I don't think he's a trade candidate, but maybe they look to trade Joely Rodriguez or trade Richard Blyer or even trade Brendan Bernardino, who's been kind of one of the better stories of the season, to try to balance things out a little bit and fix another area of the roster. You know, at one point last week they had, I think, six lefties in the bullpen. I think they're down to five or maybe four. You lose track with all the movement and, and more movement to come with Yovera, you know, probably joining the team for Friday or Saturday. So um, I could see Blyer in a trade like that potentially. Um, but, you know, it's not like that's the guy with – really a ton of value. He's not had a right. great year. He was hurt for a lot of it and um, you know, especially hit hard by lefties. In terms of guys that could be, you know, uh, off of the 26, the 40 man, Bobby Dahlbeck's a guy that obviously I think uh, everybody knows the story there. He's played really well at AAA. He's a guy that, you know, doesn't really fit the Red Sox and he's fallen down the depth chart a lot. I think if he, he's a potential throw-in candidate and deal before August 1st, they probably love to do that, even though, you know, it's not a bad problem in the eyes of the Red Sox to have some depth there. He's a guy I think, you know, um, could could get axed. But if, if you look at it, you know, when McGuire comes back, Alfaro probably just gets DFA'd. I think that's pretty simple. He's not been great on either side of the ball. Um, a tougher decision with Story coming back. Maybe Reyes, you know, is the guy who gets DFA'd. That was a big discussion point over the last few days. Um, you know, there are a few guys that have to come off the 60 as, as Marky mentioned sale, um, now, uh, among them. And, and so there are some, some moves that need to be made, but when you look at the 40, you know, Justin Garza is on the 40 man roster and, um, you know, some of these other pieces that you see, like, wouldn't be the toughest moves to get rid of. So yeah, I, I don't I think, think there's that much of a crunch at this point because, you know, there's so many spare parts. I think it's a lot easier to find some dead wood as it were on the 40 man roster than it is on the major league roster. Right. Uh, but some of those guys are going to have to go either optioned to Worcester or moved out of the organization or DFA. And you're right. Uh, we can't rule. It's not as if Briar, uh, Blyer is, uh, is sacrosanct at this point, given how he's performed and the injuries he's dealt with. But I just think that there are ways that they can, uh, keep him and control him and move some others out uh, on options. Second question comes from Noah Powell, another guy I know, I know personally well. He asked, what kind of return would you want to see if the Red Sox were to trade Nick Pavetta? And the second part of the question, do you think they go after Joey Wendell or take a chance on somebody like Nicky Lopez? Nicky Lopez has struggled this season and last, but decent defense and seems to be the odd man out in Kansas City, and he's left-handed hitting. We were talking at lunch today because why would we escape work when we can just talk about these types of things off the air and when we're not writing about them, about potentially adding a left-handed hitting outfielder. You brought up another name for that mix. Do you want to kind of surface that one now? Yeah, Tony Kemp with Oakland is a guy that I think is intriguing if they are uh, really looking to upgrade at second base. He has a history with Alex Cora, having played in Houston when Cora was there. Uh, so that would seem to make a fit if, and you would imagine that the A's would be uh, certainly more than willing to move any veteran to get rid of some salary, to unload just about anything that's not tied down in Oakland, including the ballpark maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. So Kemp is a possibility. Uh, Lopez is a nice defender, but I don't see that he's an everyday guy or much of an improvement over what they have. Uh, I frankly don't see them looking to upgrade at second unless something 
really comes out of nowhere and presents itself at the 11th hour, which sometimes happens at the deadline. I think they're going to be much more concentrated on pitching. Um, so if they were to make a move, uh, it would seem like it would be necessary to make more of an upgrade than a guy like Lopez. The other question about Pavetta, almost impossible to know just because teams are going to value him in a different way. I think some teams are going to look at him and say, this is a guy who, you know, we know what he is as a starter. He's very consistently inconsistent throughout his career. Maybe some teams look at it and see, you know, he's made adjustments. They can put him in the rotation. They look at him as a guy that can eat a ton of innings for them and has that year of control left. Um, you know, I think that the Pavetta type thing to me, if they're going to do that, which I, I would do that, you know, I'm not sure that they're going to because he's been such a valuable piece these last few weeks. That's the type of move where it's a baseball trade. You go out and you get a piece that fits your roster better. Um, you know, whether that be a, you know, a spare, uh, a kind of leverage reliever for a year and a half or, or a you know, younger starter with another year of control that's kind of a back-end guy. I mean, it's tough. It's going to be kind of a creative move, but I don't think they'd deal Pavetta for, you know, double-A, single-A prospects. It would probably be somebody in the majors, if I had to guess. Yeah, and it would be a lot easier to move Pavetta at the deadline if the deadline were August 15th instead of August 1st. Yeah. Because there's going to be that gap in early August where you don't yet have Sale, Whitlock, and Hauk back, and you're going to need some bulk innings out of the bullpen on some of those opener or bullpen games. And let's face it, Pavetta has been stellar in that role. Even if you question whether he has a role going forward in 2024, whether they want to pay the kind of money he's going to get through arbitration, those are all fair questions to ask for the offseason. I just don't see him sacrificing him at the deadline. These three questions are all kind of similar in their own way. I mean, they all kind of touch on the same topic. Thomas Howland asked, who are your top three cost-controlled available starting pitchers the Red Sox could target? Max Maxi Boss 93 starting pitcher or add some power to the lineup uh, and then Beantown underscore GC based on the Angels White Sox Giolito trade would you give up multiple top 10 guys for a guy like Chicago's Dylan Cease so all talking about the Red Sox potentially going out and getting a um, controllable arm Cease is a guy I think that does make sense for the Red Sox but all indications from what I've heard and what's been reported the White Sox want to hold on to him at least through the deadline so I don't know if that's particularly likely Sean are there any names that jump out to you in terms of controllable starters guys the Red Sox could plug into the rotation for next year or a couple of years beyond that you think are the best fits that's the difficult thing is trying to find guys that they have control over past this year there are plenty of rentals, and some of them are really good. A guy like Blake Snell looks like he's going to be moved, and that would be a terrific fit here as a rental, even if it costs a lot. I think that would be somebody that would really upgrade the rotation. Uh, you know, We've talked about other older guys like Rich Hill and Michael Lorenzen who are all going to be free agents at the end of this year. There's a lot of those guys out there, but we also know that Heim Bloom has prioritized getting guys he can control beyond this year. And that's when it gets difficult, not only in realizing that it's going to be a more expensive proposition for the Red Sox to have to give up better uh, packages of talent in order to get somebody that they control past this year. But who are those guys? Uh, there, there are very few. Um, you know, one guy that I thought of, and this is one of those baseball trades, it isn't prospect for rental, 
What about a deal involving the Red Sox and Milwaukee Brewers in which the Red Sox give up Alex Verdugo in exchange for Brandon Woodruff? Now, there's a couple of problems with that. Woodruff, of course, has missed most of this season and is still going through a rehab uh, where he looks like he's a start a two or two away from getting back to the big leagues. But he's been a very good number two starter for the Brewers for a while. He's controlled through 2024. Verdugo is controlled through 2024. The Red Sox need pitching. The Brewers need some offense. Uh, to me, that that's the kind of deal that might be an interesting one to see. We haven't heard Woodruff's name being mentioned much, I'm sure, because of his health concerns. But if the Red Sox have medicals that suggest that they're not worried about him, uh, that would make an interesting swap, I think. And beyond that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to find a lot of guys who could be starting pitchers, not just for this year, but in 2024 and beyond. And as I noted, if they're going to make that kind of deal, they're going to have to really dig into the farm system and give up some real prospects to get that guy. Yeah, just looking at MLB.com's top 14 pitchers on the trade block rank, cease number one, controllable through 2025, then Snell, the rental, Justin Verlander, who's a guy that the Red Sox weren't interested in over the winter. I, I doubt that that's not, you know, that's going to be the same now. Eduardo Rodriguez is next on the list. I think the Red Sox obviously more familiar with that guy than anybody else. That weird contract situation, opt out after the year, three years left on the deal. To me, they weren't particularly interested in bringing back Eduardo Rodriguez two years ago in free agency. I don't see it there. Marcus Stroman, effectively a rental. I think it's a guy that uh, does not seem like the greatest fit for, for Boston, and I would see them probably avoiding that. And then you get into you know some of these other names. Aaron Savali is a guy that could make some sense as a controllable through 2025 guy. With um, some Boston ties. Right, a Northeastern um, alum. And then we get to the keep going on this list, and, and James Paxson is on this list as a rental, as well as you know Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals and – uh, some of these other be. guys that are, are popping up and uh, rentals that you know probably don't make sense. Lance Lynn looks like he might be on the move maybe to to the Rays or one of these other teams. And um, Jack Flaherty, a rental. I mean, a lot of these guys, as you mentioned, are rentals. But, you know, I think the Woodruff idea is an interesting one. You know, cost-controlled or starting pitchers with control beyond this year are always the most expensive pieces at the deadline. You saw what, you know, the Angels had to give up. Um for Giolito last night, you know, a top 100 prospect, and then you know another pretty good and pitching, that's, and that's for a rental too, right? That's that's yeah, right. And that and I think someone asked an interesting question in the wake of that last night. When you see a top 100 guy going, and obviously they had to throw in Ronaldo Lopez um, in that deal as well. If you see you know a top 100 prospect going for a rental, does that make the Red Sox more likely to trade James Paxton? In my mind, if it's a seller's market, yes. Again, I do think that that is a um, no pun intended, tough sell just because that feels like a move that means that you're waving the white flag on the season in a lot of ways. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, Chris. I, I don't see how you can say that we're still trying to win if you're Heim Bloom um, and, and be a playoff contender in 2023 uh, when you're dealing away the guy who is arguably your best starter and certainly your most tested an experienced starter down the stretch. We know that he had that rough outing against the Cubs, but he bounced back nicely after that. Uh, I'd be shocked if Paxton went, uh, unless somebody just overwhelms him, as you suggested, where it becomes a 
real seller's market. And the Red Sox think that they can maybe make another deal to bring in a rental to, to supplant him and at the same time still get a good return for him because there aren't, there aren't a lot of great pitchers out there. Uh, but I, I just don't see it. I, I, the, my thoughts exactly the phrase waving the white flag came up as I started thinking about them marketing Paxton now that they're a game and a half out of a playoff spot. Yeah, it might be the product of spending too much time together on the job, but um, glad you agree, I guess. Uh, Tony Terzi at Terzi Talk comes with this. I saw a video of Chris Sale letting it fly off the mound at Polar Park today. Any idea when his first rehab start will be? Also, Alex Cora said two days ago during a radio interview with EEI that Trevor's story is a few weeks away from being back a few weeks. And uh, so we'll we'll dig into that. I think the plan was... Um, for sale to go in the next few days and start a rehab assignment if everything went well today, unless I'm mistaken. Yep, yep. Live BP today, and then a few days from now, uh, a two or three inning um, rehab appearance, uh, probably for Worcester. And that's where it gets interesting on both of these guys. I wrote about this the other day, the fact that both Story and Sale could come back before uh, you know conventional thinking suggests that they could. With Sale... Um, you know, ordinarily you might have him make two or three, maybe even four rehab assignments to build up that arm strength. But given that two of the five spots in the Red Sox rotation are currently bullpen slash opener games, why not have Chris Sale build up his arm strength at the major league level? In other words, don't waste the bullets at Worcester or Portland. Bring him up, and even if he's only ready to go three innings the first time out, well, wouldn't you rather have Chris Sale on the mound than uh, than Brendan Bernardino for uh, for a couple of these outings? And as for Story, he is sending all kinds of signals, both with his ability to uh, really drive the ball, the way he's playing shortstop, saying that you know he feels really good and could be ready pretty soon. I'm not going to be shocked if Trevor Story is part of the lineup uh, a week from tomorrow. That is when the Red Sox return home and begin a long homestand with a key three-game series against Toronto. That'll be about two weeks' worth of rehab games. They're going to have to be careful with his workload coming back, but I think Story could be back uh, when the Red Sox return to Fenway, and I think Sale might not be too far behind. And that's obviously two huge pieces. Reese McGuire coming back as the backup catcher right after that. And, and how can Whitlock, um, you know, at that point, and I know there's some other guys that are, are hurt and, and no disrespect to great friend of the show, Zach Kelly, but um, you know, you're really looking at the key pieces kind of all coming back by middle or end of August. I think with Whitlock kind of bringing up the rear and being the last guy out of that group to do so. So they are getting healthier. They have avoided, you know, significant injury here in the last couple of weeks. Um, which they had not been able to go more than, you know, 10 days, two weeks without a pretty significant blow. So the fact that that's happened is pretty good for them as well. Kyrie is gone. Tyler tweets, what do you think is the most likely player the Red Sox will acquire? Really putting us on the spot here. That's tough, tough to identify. Um, You know, if I were to just go with most likely to acquire, I'm going to say, Michael Lorenzen. I just think that that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. He has, you know, experience in different roles. He's a rental starter. I know Bloom said, I don't want to give up, you know, I don't want to go particularly hard after re- rentals, but it's just, he's a guy that fits, a guy that can kind of play a swingman role, a righty to balance things out a little bit, and he's not going to cost too much. So that's going to be um, my prediction, Michael Lorenzen from the Tigers, formerly of the Reds, Angels, and some other teams. 
I'm going to go with a familiar face and say that Joe Kelly returns to the Red Sox. The White Sox are... The sound you hear is Rob Bradford celebrating. Yeah, the, the White Sox are ready to do business with, for just about anybody and everybody, with the exception of Dylan Cease, it seems. Uh, Kelly will be moved. Uh, the Red Sox know him. Uh, he has succeeded in this market, particularly as a reliever. They need a right-handed, hard-throwing guy to join... Uh, Martin and Schreiber as late-inning high-leverage guys who can get swing and miss. So I'm going to say a Joe Kelly reunion is in the offing. And not a guy who's going to cost you a lot. You know, I know right. the, FIP is, the FIP is okay, but ERA of five, I think he got a brutal outing yesterday or the day before. Not a guy that is going to cost you a ton, but you know the Red Sox uh, have a lot of data on him from a few years ago and are going to know you know what it takes to get the best out of Joe Kelly. He was a guy that you know, was so good down the stretch in 18, so good in the postseason that um, I think it's it's one that makes sense, uh, and obviously arms are the focus at this point. We'll end with this. You kind of uh, talked a little bit about it a few minutes ago, but uh, an interesting topic from Stan Gaskill at SJ Tunes. Do you think Verdugo will be traded in the off season? He'll be one year away from free agency, and he hasn't elevated his offensive game like Duran, Casas, and Wong. I would you know disagree with that secondary point a little bit just because he you know was their most consistent offensive player for really the first three and a half four months of the season uh he had i guess you know three 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 and a half he has been pretty horrible the last few weeks and obviously benched by the red sox in a in an unplugged sort of way which we see Alex Gore do from time to time taking him out of the lineup you know verduco's a guy that I think his future is up in the air until he has that next contract signed, which has not happened. It doesn't seem like it's particularly likely to happen in the next few weeks. Um, I think his future is up in the air a little bit. Could the Red Sox look to sell high on him right now, install Adam Duvall in the outfield? I wouldn't rule that out. Um, you have Duvall, Duran, Yoshida, Ref Snyder is your fourth outfielder. That is obviously a strong suit of the team and one of the, the strong areas of the roster. And then in the future, you have Rafaela coming. Rafaela, Duran, Yoshida seems like you're set in the outfield for years to come. I don't know. I think Verdugo is a guy that you kind of look at this and you think about the core moving forward and you talk about the Bayos and the Wongs, Casas and Cutter Crawford and Duran and all these guys who have stepped up and Meyer and some of these other pieces. And Verdugo just to me does not fit into that if he is. You know, fine, if they do sign him, I, I kind of don't think they will. And so, therefore, you know, a trade either now in the next two weeks, again, I think that's a big white flag similar to Paxton. Verdugo has been a guy who's one of their best players in the first half. So moving him does not send a great message to the clubhouse, but a guy they could sell high on. So it could be kind of one of those super outside-the-box things we don't see necessarily coming that could come to fruition, I think. Yeah, I disagree a little bit, Chris. I don't see Verdugo as a white flag sign. Uh, the way I do Paxton, because they don't have anybody to replace what Paxton is yeah, doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Verdugo, as you noted, because of uh, Duval and and uh, Duran and uh, Yoshida, they they can run out a very uh, competitive outfield and have Rob Ref Snyder come off the bench and have other options like Reyes uh, be able to move out and contribute in the outfield going forward. Um, I do think it would not surprise me if he got traded either at the deadline or this winter. I sense a reluctance on the part of the Red Sox to commit to him long term. He is a streaky player who goes up and down all the time. And the Red Sox may be asking themselves, is this a guy we would trust giving a four, five, six year kind of 
contract extension, which he'd be looking for, uh, I, I think it's far more likely that, um, as you've used the phrase, sell high, he could be a guy that they see what they can get uh, either in the next five or six days or after the season is over. And given that he would be, uh, you know, moving him now would increase his value because you get two kicks at the postseason with him before he becomes a free agent. I would not rule it out. Uh, I'm not expecting it, but it would not shock me in the least if they moved him. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, him and Nick Pavetta, two guys that are pending free agents after next season, you get a year and two months if you're a team acquiring them. Guys who have had, you know, generally good seasons. Pavetta slumped at the beginning. Verdugo slumping now. But guys you could get something back for. And, and as they're looking for those core pieces, and they don't view necessarily those guys as core pieces, maybe it's time to, you know, make a, a bold move, uh, which these would be, and uh, shake things up a little bit. That's Sean McAdam. I'm Chris Cotillo from San Francisco. Plenty of coverage coming on Mass Live over the next six days, which is going to feel a lot longer than that as we uh, traverse the West Coast here and the Red Sox approach the trade deadline with lots of possibilities. It's still up in the air. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.